Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. We're continuing the series of Psyche and today I have Natasha Chandra on the show. Natasha is an actor, a theatre director and a writer and she's done a lot of work in the UK as well as India. She has her own talk show which is in the format of mini seasons and it's committed to spotlighting South Asian women across the globe in different industries. And we're going to be talking about how growing up as a South Asian woman, how this impacted her life as well as the similarities between us because I know we have so many so I'm thoroughly looking forward to this conversation. Hey Natasha welcome to Unplug with Annie. Hey so nice to be here thank you for having me. Yeah it's nice to finally meet you virtually (laughs) at least for now. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey because I know that you've done uh, work in India as well as London as an international theatre director. Um, So talk us a little bit about what the journey's been like, how you've navigated between two very different countries. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a really incredible journey with lots and ups and lots and lots of ups and downs along the way. So my journey in theatre started in Hyderabad, India, where I grew up. So I was born in the UK, but my family moved back to India when I was very young. Um, And I sort of went through the schooling system in India, uh, a very good schooling system. My parents ensured I had a very good education, but part of a good schooling system in a country like India, which is a developing country, very focused on its doctors, its engineers, its IT professionals, and not particularly uh, friendly towards students who are more inclined to the arts, more inclined to being doing well in languages and English, uh, which is what I was really good at. So I sort of along the way in secondary school, really struggling with my academics when it came to anything number related to anything that had numbers in it was really hard for me. Uh, And I also belong to a very academic family um, with very highly accomplished (laughs) academic family. And I sort of decided, I sort of realized there was a massive hole uh, when it came to students who were very good in performing arts are very sort of inclined to that kind of aspect. And my mom's family are all based in the UK. So every summer holiday, we would go back to the UK. And I remember feeling very jealous that a lot of my cousins were able to do theater and able to do media uh, as GCSE, like alongside their education. And so when I was 17 years old, uh, I founded a youth theater company in Hyderabad called Ingenium Dramatics with the sole purpose of making performing arts a more respectable uh, like journey for young people to do uh, alongside their academics and really encourage them to explore their talent in acting, in singing, in or anything uh, related outside of that like stage management or lighting design. And my company ran for about five years and actually launched the careers of a lot of quite well-known actors in Hyderabad, in Tollywood as well. And it also went on to give me the confidence to pursue directing and writing in theatre in London. I did a lot of Broadway-style musicals, so I did adaptations of The Lion King and Les Miserables because I knew I was competing with an audience that sort of treated theatre 
as only uh, something that intellectuals went to. And of course, we're competing with our massive, beautiful industry that is Bollywood. So I decided to make plays which were exciting so people would want to come and see the theater so uh, theater full of music and dance and action sequences. Um, and that's what I decided to do. So that was how my journey sort of happened in theater, started very young and what I now realize is what I was doing was being an artistic director of a company because I led companies, uh, directed shows, adapted shows. Um, and I took on all that experience. And once I graduated and completed my higher education here in the UK, uh, I went on to just step very like loudly and firmly into the industry here, obviously starting from scratch because it's such a um, established industry here and people do it as an actual job Whereas in India, doing theatre is like a hobby or something you do like as a side hustle. And over here, obviously, you have side hustles and your main hustle is doing theatre. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since I graduated. Um, I've just been working through the industry, navigating through the industry. And today, I very proudly stand as a full-time theatre director and writer, as well as a facilitator where I mentor a lot of young people in theatre as well through acting and writing. Uh, so that's sort of my journey uh, in a nutshell, uh, owing it all to, to founding my company, Ingenium Dramatics, and being very happy that I did that. And it's led me quite comfortably and confidently into approaching the industry here as well. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, yeah, I can certainly relate uh, in, on so many levels, just having done a little bit of work out in, in, in Mumbai. So um, I completely understand when you say that, you know, theatre is not, is not sort of taken as, a, as your full-time profession. It's, it's, yeah. very, it's very niche over there, isn't it? And um, yeah, and it, it, it's not actually enough for an actor to really sustain themselves. Um, on yeah. it as a full-time career either. Um, so growing up and, and, and obviously picking now theatre, deciding this is what you want to do and this is, you know, the arts was something you wanted to pursue. Were there certain people that you looked up to that were inspirations for you or for you, did you feel that even in London there was a gap and in terms of South Asian representation, uh, women like yourself pursuing the arts, um, what were your thoughts on, on, on that? Yeah, so it's really fascinating. I feel like uh, the conversation about representation is a, is a new conversation to me in the sense that when you're growing up in India, and I'm sure you can relate to something like this, and you watch stuff on the TV, it was almost like I accepted that anything that was English speaking had white actors in it or white production teams and I didn't think of it otherwise and the first time I watched something on the TV or on in the cinema or something that was British or came out of the British market was Bend It Like Beckham which obviously is by the Chada and I remember and I was only in like I must have been about maybe 11 or 12 when it came out and I remember watching it and thinking oh my god why can I relate so much why am I feeling this on a completely different level compared to all these other films that I sort of just accepted coming out of Hollywood or coming out of the UK were just very white dominated. And I just very much accepted that because growing up in India, it's great because you get to see people like you on screen, you're watching Bollywood, you're watching Indian uh, TV shows. And then when I went to the UK on holiday, I would just watch the TV and I would accept that 
that I wasn't on screen because I just accepted that, I don't know, I'm in a different country or I'm in a white country. And that perception completely changed when I started to work in the industry. When I started to work in the industry, I suddenly realized, well, I'm not seeing myself on screen. And there's so many of me and there's so many of my South Asian sisters and my South Asian brothers and so many of my black colleagues. And there's just not enough work. There's not enough positions offered to us. There's not enough... Um, bursaries offered to us or you know opportunities or if they are we're such we're in such close competition for them because we're all under one banner and there's one position for us to all like compete for um so so for me it was such an eye-opener coming into the industry and suddenly realizing growing up in India spending all my formative eight years in India and then coming here and trying to find my identity trying to work out whether I was British, not really. Am I Indian? No, but not really because I've had such a kind of westernized upbringing even in India because I was the foreign kid in India as well. I was <laughs> never considered an Indian kid in India. And here I'm also a foreign kid. So, And that's what happens to people who have such a dual heritage and a dual identity. Um, and I'm actually, I'm so grateful that I have been, you know, it was a shock, but equally uh, really sort of enriching for me to realize how important representation was. And when I founded my own company in 2015 called Namashka, it sort of it evolved over the years when now Namashka is about South Asian female representation, not just on stage or on screen, but also off stage and who's working behind the scenes. Because I get a lot of, oh, I work in theater. Oh, really? Are you an actor? You must be an actor. And I'm like, no, women, South Asian women, we direct, we write, we don't just appear on screen. There are so many other things that we can do off screen as well. And, and I know that I've had my fingers in all these parts. I've stage managed, I've assistant directed, I've designed costumes, I've had input into light, lighting design. I've done all these things and I'm a South Asian woman. So it sort of enabled the the gaps in the industry enabled me to kind of realize it's not just about who we're seeing on stage it's also who's working in that workforce off stage as well because you can have a show which has south asian actors in it but if your whole team is white that's completely like that's not you know for someone like me i, I watch a show and i'm like oh cool i can see myself and i look at the cast uh, i look at the crew list or the production crew and i'm just like well, this is not very representative of me because I'm not an actor. I'm a creator. So I'm, I want to see names like mine on that list. Mm. So in the last couple of years, uh, last two years, at least I have been working towards all my work has been very female led and any work that I write, or I create through my company and produce through my company is all about challenging and changing South Asian female representation now, because I think that's what's so important. And when people say representation matters, it really does because the moment you see a South Asian woman on screen or on stage, where it's not about her being secondary or it's not about her being in this very kind of passive, very underrated role. And she's just there being really cool and really exciting like so many of us are it really ignites something in you and just makes it feel just incredible to be like, yes, this is us. This is, this is us, but this is also us as well. Yeah. And that's what I, I kind of uh, aim to do with my work as well. And so, yeah. So for me, it was just, it was a real shock and a real kind of learning experience when it came to representation because I accepted that that's fine. That's just what it is. It's English TV. Why do I expect to see myself? And then when I started working, I was just like, oh, wait, actually, no, that is so important because now I'm up against so much. 
to get my yeah. work out there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you said something um, which, yeah, hit the, the nail on the head for me because it's something that I find myself saying to so many people, which is this, this whole idea of dual identity, even though I was born in London, um, having done work out in yeah. India, I definitely feel like a foreigner there, but I do feel like a foreigner here too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, and, and like you're behind the scenes. I mean, even in front of the camera, I think that that conflict of where do I fit? What is my casting in this space? And am, am I just constrained by this label, you know, just this yeah. box, which needs to be ticked. Um, and I know behind the, behind the scenes, as you've mentioned, it's, it's exactly the same, but I'm glad more conversations are starting about this specific topic. And it, it's great to have your input and your perspective on this as well. Um, so growing up for you in terms of choosing the arts, then, I mean, somebody from an Asian background, I know that choice in itself can, uh, be really challenging and, uh, you know, whether it's accepted or not is, 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 is another, you know, a whole different conversation. For you, were your parents very supportive that you chose this as your profession, that you wanted to pursue it, or was there conflict in, in that arena? Um, I think what's really interesting is, for me, it's been a little bit of both. There's always, I, I think within South Asian culture, very specifically, we're kind of, we have this, um, this need to want to please our parents or prove to our parents that we're, that we're doing well. And of course, there's a lot of stigma attached to entering into the art industry, particularly, uh, I think in, in India, because Bollywood is a very, it's a very nepotistic organization. It's very hard to penetrate when you're coming from an outside family that's not part of, you know, the, the families that build Bollywood, um, as well. So it's kind of very uncharted territory for a lot of families. So I, I kind of understand that my mom, 100% supportive of Elf, was a, um, she was, she's a musician, well, she's a biochemist, and she used to do uh, music as a kind of side thing, and then she took it up full time when she started, when she had children. So she's always kind of encouraged us, she's always said to us that whatever you do, do it with integrity and do it with genuinity, whatever it is that you do. And she always sent us to dance classes. So I've I've been to Bharatanatyam dances. I've, I've learned Western classical music. I, I've learned the piano. I know how to, I am a singer. I did Indian classical music as well. And anytime there was something tiny bit theater related, my mom sent us to it. So I was, I was exposed to a lot of art growing up. And my dad is a little bit more traditional. He comes from a very kind of traditional family, born and brought up in India. My mom's born and brought up in the UK. And I think her family encouraged her to pursue music. So she was a bit more flexible. Although my dad, it, it took a little bit of proving to my dad before he was okay with me pursuing what I pursued. I think when I first started out, he just, he was always a bit like, no, do computer science as well. Do business studies as well. Like he always asked me to take the subjects that I needed to fall back on, which I think is a brilliant idea, of course. Uh, but it was only after I did my first play um, when I was about 15 or 16, I did a play with one of my friends in school and he came to see it and he was like, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, actually quite good at that. And I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually okay at that. And then when I founded my company, my dad was my number one supporter. And he was the one who supported me 
financially, he supported me artistically. There was major rows in the house. It was like having a producer telling me, don't do this, don't do that. And me, the artist going, no, you don't understand. This is my artistic, like this is my journey. And by the time I did Ingenium, my dad was my number one supporter. And I don't think I would have been able to do the shows at the level that I did them without him. So although there was a little bit of resistance to begin with, it took proving to, it took showing him what I could do and him realizing actually, yes, she's very good at this and I need to encourage and support her to do it. Of course, there's still a lack of understanding in how the, art, the artist's journey occurs and how it's very off and on and how it's very inconsistent. And I think still now as an adult, I was a teenager back then, but as an adult, I do still enter into a lot of disagreements with my dad because he thinks he knows what I should be doing. Um, but I just think that that is, that's a generational gap and also again, not knowing how industry works. But at the end of the day, my parents and my family, my sisters have been very supportive of my journey um, as well. A little bit of resistance, but I think as well, another major thing is about what will everybody else think in South Asian culture? What will the extended family think? And I think there's such a huge stigma attached to being an artist. It's still looked upon as quite, quite the joke in India for, for lots of reasons that I understand. I think a lot of people claim, like sort of say they're artists and don't really do much and kind of sit around and then it kind of impacts the artists like us who are actually working really hard especially when we come into countries like the UK or into the US where there's such an established industry. Um, but to answer your question, I've been one of the lucky ones, very grateful and good. It keeps me on my toes to keep having arguments with my dad about what to do and what not to do as well. So it really keeps me on my toes and keeps me focused. We're very grateful to have a mom and dad like I do who've always supported my journey and have seen that I have talent to, to pursue what I pursue. Yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant. I mean, it's so funny that you, you know, so much of what you're saying, I feel like I just, I, 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 I was just on a, another podcast today as an artist and giving sort of my, my perspective. And I feel like we share, there's so, there's so many uh, similarities, even in regards to my dad, uh, you know, still struggling with the idea that <laughs> this acceptance that I've chosen this profession. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of connection, I feel, between uh, the artistic, the artistic journey, the artistic world and mind. And then, I, I mean, I've always been hugely fascinated with learning about behavior and psychology. And I feel like both are so uh, interconnected in many ways because we're dealing with like characters and stories and um, and, and layers uh, to our personalities. Uh, essentially. So how have your experiences, especially as a child, how would you say they've shaped your experiences in childhood and also in terms of the way that you think? And I know that something we had touched upon in discussion was being bullied as a child. Um, have you found a release through art and, and a healing almost of trauma? Do you feel that it uh, accelerates that to some degree that you're able to share your voice and your experiences and there's something that happens in that process because of it? Yeah, I 100% what you're saying uh, is true. Uh, and yes, to sort of say I was, when I was in school, school was a very difficult time for me. Um, I was very, very severely bullied when I was in school. I still to this day don't know why, but it was actually my mom who first, who gave me my very first notebook 
you know, the books that directors or artists have that we write in. I've got them now all lined up on my shelf in my living room. Any book that I runs out of pages, it's all there. And it was actually my mom. And I remember she gave me this little book, which was, which had this blue and black pattern at the front. And she, I was struggling in school. Um, I think as well, every, every so often there's a conversation about mental health and about, um, you know whether it's whether it's being taken seriously again culturally very difficult to take seriously my mom really wanted me to see a therapist or a child therapist when i was younger it was something my dad didn't believe in but is slowly kind of understanding but that's again not not to blame him or anything it's just a generational thing it's something you know mental health is not something uh, as well within all cultures needs to be looked at so much more so when my dad disagreed to any sort of counseling for me as a child and asked and wanted me to toughen up. My mom was the one who first gave me a little notebook and she told me to write. She said write because I used to write poems when I was a child. I used to write little things here and there. And it was, uh, it was that um, period of time where I first started writing. I started to keep diaries. I started to keep journals. Uh, I also started to, I love dolls by the way. So, and I still have a big collection of dolls. I started to tell stories through my dolls, what I would say to people or could say to people, how I could stand up for myself. And I did it through stories whilst playing with my dolls, whilst writing stories in my book. And now as an adult, when I write, I tend to write very confident characters, very ca characters who know exactly what they want and know exactly what to say. And I think that is me exercising the fact that as a child and as a teenager, I couldn't always say what I wanted to say or I was in a position where I didn't feel, I wasn't a very confident child, I was a very shy child, which frequently got confused with being very snobby. Because I think when you're shy and you have quite a serious face, people seem to think you're quite kind of, uh, you know, quite snobby, but it wasn't that. I was just a really terrified child. <laughs> and I found my release through, um, of telling stories the way I want stories to be told and, the, and outcomes that I want happening. I've done that through story writing because I, I feel like I don't get that in life all the time. I don't always get what I want to get in life or anything I've had to work for. I've worked really, really hard for. So that's all. I feel like the reason I write such strong, charismatic, confident female characters is because of the trauma I've lived with in the past. And that's one of the really great things that have come out of it. It also really fuels my energy to keep going and to keep proving myself because when I look back on where my bullies are now and what they're doing now, they're not really doing much and I'm, and I'm doing really well as well. Um, and it's fine, you know, no, no evil vibes or energy to them, whatever, you know, people live differently and do different things in life. But I think being an artist has really fueled that work. I kind of live the realities of, I live the realities that I want that I can't have in life. Um, my storytelling is always, always has a light at the end of the tunnel. It never, never ends on a down depressing note. I've worked on plenty of plays that do. I've worked on plenty of writing that does, but my own writing always ends on a really positive note and always ends on that light at the end of the tunnel that I always yearned for as a teenager because it felt, it really felt like a struggle when I was a teenager. Um, so yes, writing has been an absolute escape for me and all the characters. And I have, I tell a lot of people, be careful what you say to me or be careful what you do because it'll find its way into a story. And some of these characters who I've, 
who I have encountered in my life have found their way into a lot of my writing, have found their way into a lot of my stories. But my character who deals with it does all the things that I would have liked to have done when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. But now they're getting into writing and then they go up on stage and then they get five-star reviews. So I guess that's worth it at the end of the day. Yeah. So, so yes, I think, I think being an, I think trauma, you know, using, exercising your trauma through art is such an important thing. It's a very, it can be so cathartic. Uh, I know there are days that I absolutely can't write because it, it hurts too much, but then there are days where I write and I feel so good at the end of the day. And I'm just like, yes, I, I wrote it. It's great. It, it sounds good. It's been picked for this. It's been published in that. That's brilliant. So it's great and it's such a brilliant release and so much you know praise for people who have been through so much more than me who are able to turn it into something wonderful on stage or on screen as well yeah yeah no that's great that's great and like you said it is so important and i know there's more and more conversations around mental health now which is great i think you know people allowing themselves to be vulnerable and just share that part of them helps many others open up as well it has sort of a domino effect um in regards to being a change for you know the future we want uh the current series that i'm doing called ignite where i'm speaking to a lot of creatives um a lot of what has come from that when i speak to people from you know a bain background ethnic minority background um a lot of them have had this shared ideal in the sense that i think if there's one thing i've taken away from them is this idea that we can't rely on this one thing because because we are different and we can't just wait around for opportunities we should really be creating them would you would you agree with that sentiment and and say that we need to be the change and if so how do you find yourself kind of pushing and challenging the system in in your own way and do you feel that it's going to take a lot more people to you know join the bandwagon and also push towards change to make a real difference yeah i 100% agree with your statement i think the change that we want to see in our industries is that you have to be proactive to do it yourself and Uh, I've 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 always been someone who's very proactive. I I like I'm a leader and I like to do my own thing and I like to lead. So part of what I did was I founded my own company to self-produce my work, to put money away and to get funding to put my own work up on stage as well without waiting for the opportunity to come to me. Of course, every opportunity I've had has been very useful and very uh you know, it's given me a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. Um and one of the other things I did over the past couple of months to continue my uh agenda of south asian women and pushing us forward and pushing us into the limelight is i started i launched a talk show uh where i sort of put uh with the aim of putting a lot of south asian women across industries across the globe into the spotlight and talking to them about their experiences in order to inspire the next generation of south asian women and to say to them look you can do this you can be an actor you can be a doctor a filmmaker you can be a lawyer and i kind of i've interviewed so many women uh, across different industries which has been absolutely brilliant and that's part of what i want to do to be this change in the industry so it's not just so where it's great to be part of teams that are doing work and i have have work as well i think it's really important to keep making your own work as well and to keep writing your own things that you really believe in and 
the other thing that I wholeheartedly agree with is that there needs to be more of us coming together to do this. I think uh, we get pitted a lot against each other because we're all under this very little banner mm -hmm. and we all kind of get shoved into this one category. And I think especially in South Asian uh, culture, there is this massive culture of being very competitive and really working against each other rather than with each other. But over the last couple of months, this lockdown has been able to bring so many South Asian creatives together. And I've been part of so many conversation struggles and lots of challenges we go through. And the realization for all of us was that we're all going through these things together. Uh, we're all suffering from the same thing, but none of us are coming together. And I've come out at the end of the first lockdown, I know we're going into a second lockdown, with a lot of beautiful relationships that I've made with so many South Asian creatives. I've never felt more close to South Asian, to my South Asian creatives in this industry, because I've connected with so many people, you including you. Um, and I just think the more we come together, the more we encourage each other and support each other, whether it's even something silly and little like retweeting each other's work or following each other on social media and just shouting about, oh, look at this incredible thing Anissa's doing, oh, look at this incredible thing whoever else is doing. I think that that is a way to really come together and keep moving forward. I think the lockdowns presented our theater industry, especially with a lot of challenges, there's a lot of fear we're gonna move back because there's not enough, there was already not enough jobs and now we're all gonna be scrambling when the theaters reopen. There's gonna be a lot of redundancies, a lot of job cuts because of money, finance being so tight because of the way the pandemic affected our industry. But I think we do need to pull together. We need to support each other. We need to pull each other up, especially as women. And I'm very grateful to have found like so many women who are doing incredible things who are also supportive of each other. And I genuinely believe that the more we come together and the more we show our excellence as a community, the more we will keep moving forward. And if we don't do that, and if it's just, no, I want to be the only South Asian in the building, which happens a lot, if that, hap if that continues to happen, there isn't going to be any changes moving forward. Yeah. And I really think that the more we come together, the more we will thrive as a community, and the more we will see these changes that we keep raising in conversations, because we are all going through the same thing. Not not exactly the same thing, but we're all going through the same thing in terms of the arguments about representation, about opportunities. Um, so I do, I've, I've been very, I've been witness to working on teams, coming together with teams, taking a secondary role on teams and being like sure and supporting other people and some amazing stuff has come out of it. So I know that if we come together, we will, we will thrive. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on this because um, even in some previous interviews, I found myself sort of making the comparison between obviously we've had not only the pandemic, but there's been a huge movement. Black Lives Matter has, you know, it's been a movement which has impacted us all over the world, but I think very significant. And I think it's, it's interesting what's happened there. But what I've noticed in the black community is there is so much unity there is Absolutely. so much backing each other and coming together which i have even gone on and said just like you said that there's a lack of in the south asian community and i'm not exactly sure why there's this kind of yeah, yeah. there's this underlying thing of not being able to support each other and i agree with you over lockdown i think i've definitely connected with so much more people um so many more people like yourself who um, you know, have have that perspective, have that mindset, um, 
a similar mindset ideal of supporting each other and, and pushing each other forward and it doesn't hamper your own success if you if you celebrate someone yeah. else's um so i think that's a really important point that you made um the last question i have for you but for now i feel like i could just continue this forever um but um an, a, a question which i i think is um relevant considering everything went through you know 2020 it's been quite a year um has there been a a mindset shift for you this year which has really been significant and personal towards you um something perhaps that you've changed your perspective on or even something you used to do prior to this all happening which has changed for you currently that you can share yeah, a huge shift in mindset this year, thanks to the pandemic, has been has been literally telling myself, you've really just got to live a bit more because you can plan and plan and you can have a five-year plan and a one-year plan and a whatever-year plan. And then this happens and all your plans are completely out of the window. And what you've not actually done is stop to think about a day-to-day plan like how do you get from monday to tuesday to wednesday to thursday i've i've always been someone who plans i've always set myself goals like by the time i'm this age i should have done this by the time i'm this i should have done that I, and then it came to 2020 and i had a plan this year and you know that it just didn't happen nothing happened and even now i can't plan next year i can't plan the year after that either because we don't know what's going to happen so if there's anything that has changed in my mindset this year it literally is really about how you're feeling today or how you're feeling tomorrow more than anything rather than thinking oh by the time it's 2020 or by the time it's 2025 i'm gonna have one and olivier i'm gonna have two children and i'm gonna be married well i don't know if that's gonna happen now that that's a plan i'm just giving a very hypothetical situation <laughs> So the hugest mind shift for me has just been to live and get from Monday to Tuesday with that and, and just to do that without criticizing myself every day for feeling like I'm not being useful or I haven't done something. It is literally to give myself a little bit more patience, to be patient with myself, to sleep for 12 hours if I want to, to get up at 2 a.m. to write something because it's come to me then and to just be kind to myself a bit more and, pay a bit more attention to my personal needs and my personal relationships, which I think I tend to neglect a lot when I'm planning. I've been so focused on my career since I was 17. It's always been about my career. It's always been about achieving in theater and writing. And this year taught me to just stop and literally stop and smell the whatever you smell in London, but just to stop for a second and just be like you know what you've actually done really well and to pat myself on the back um and it's still a work in progress i i'm not able to do that every day i still struggle with the patting on the back every day but that's what this year has taught me to do a bit more so just live a little bit more and planning planning's not always the way forward <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so true. So true. Well, I can definitely relate to that as well. I'm a bit of a control freak too. And I like to <laughs> like schedule things. So I agree. Like, yeah, what a lesson it's been for sure. And I think it's important what you said about Pat on the back as well, because 
um, you know, you, you sometimes never have time to even just acknowledge everything that you have actually done and you can be proud of. So yeah. I, think, I think it's great. I think it's great that you're doing that. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing a little bit about your story. And, uh, you know, I'm sure so many people are going to resonate with this. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much as well for having me and creating this platform. It's so great to have these conversations and connect with people. So thank you so much. And that was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. We're continuing this series next week. Until then, stay tuned with everything Unplug on the IG and Facebook page, Unplug with Annie, and also the website, www.unplugwithannie.com. If you'd like to sign up to the newsletters, you can do so on the website and you will receive special newsletters every week, way before Sunday's release. So you get to know ahead of time who Sunday's guest is, a little more more in-depth detail about the guest um, and lots more of course so stay tuned till next week